Air. <laughs> it's good to be in the house of God. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Revelation chapter 15. We take it very seriously when we pray as a congregation together. It's, it's necessary as we come before the throne of God with faith that we would be in unity when we pray and that we would believe God for those things that we are crying out individually and collectively as the body of Christ right here. Pastor Dennis prayed this morning for prodigals to come home. Last Sunday, we invited you to leave names of family members who are away from the Lord, to leave family members and friends that you know do not know the Lord. And we are praying and we are believing God for them, that they would, if they're prodigals, that they would come to their senses and they would return to our Father's house. I want to remind each of us of our responsibility when prodigals come home. That we, like the Father, would gird our loins, so to speak, and we would run toward them with open arms. That we would embrace them. That we would love them. That we would meet their needs if they have physical needs, such as shoes for their feet that we would remind them that they are part of the family of God. I think of the father who placed a ring on his son, on his son's finger, reminding him he belongs. Gang, we have family members who are astray. You have family members that we may not know that know the Lord, but they're away from the Lord. You may be the only one calling out their name before the throne of God. We would invite you to expand and broaden that by letting us know of those that you are praying for and we can pray with you and believe God with you. I am believing that and I believe that you are believing that in these last days that we are living in there will be a harvest. There will be the revival that we are asking for will be in the hearts of those who know the Lord. We are praying for an awakening as well. Those who do not know the Lord, that they would be born again. Amen? Amen. And so maybe there's one or two that you are thinking of even right now. We're going to pause for just a moment and we're going to pray together again. In fact, I'm going to ask that you would just, the person sitting next to you, we don't have to span the gaps and so forth, but the person who's right next to you, will you extend a hand and hold on to the hand of the one who's next to you? If you can reach across the seat and grab the hand there, let's simply unite our hearts and let's pray and let's believe God. Father, we come in the strong name of Jesus Christ, the strong name. There is no name given under heaven and earth whereby man must be saved, saving Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we ask for lost ones. You showed us the way, Lord, in that the good shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Father, thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit and you are 
in a manner of speaking, going after them even right now. You are convicting their hearts even as you convict the world with regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Lord, you are convicting their hearts. You are reminding them that it is you who yearns jealously for them. Because, God, you desire to do good. You desire to bless. You desire to, Lord, enable them to live an abundant life in Christ. And so, Father, may they come to their senses. We come against the schemes and the wiles of the devil in the name of Jesus. Your word reminds us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. And so it is in the power of your might and in the name of Jesus that we simply say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Every principality, every power, every ruler, every authority, every spiritual force of wickedness in the heavenly places, we renounce in Jesus' name. The Lord bind you, the Lord rebuke you. And Father, may their ears be opened and may their eyes be unblinded, unveiled, that they might hear and see and repent and return. And Lord, may they experience the joy of serving you. So Lord, be glorified. We pray for the lost ones that do not know you. May they be born again in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to do our part to scatter the good seed. Lord, will you prepare the soil of the hearts. And Lord, help us to be a part of the harvest, Lord, bringing in the sheaves, so to speak. So, Lord, may we share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said a strong amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Once again, I would invite you this morning that if you have a name of a family member, a loved one who knows the Lord but is away from the Lord, to take that prayer card that is in the seat in front of you, you can write down their names, and you can write your name. You can use initials. Uh, here's the thing. God knows. Uh, we're praying for a whole list of folks. Uh, one person turned in a couple of months ago an entire list of just initials. And I've got to tell you, on a piece of paper, it was like that wide. It was probably 20 different names. And we call out their initials before the Lord because God knows who they are, and he loves them. He loves them. And so I would invite you to do that. You can leave them on the podium today as... Uh, in just a little while, <laughs> in a long while, we'll be leaving. I want to also mention that we have some church planters in the area here. I want to invite you to pray with us. If you have something to write with and you're taking notes this morning, would invite you to write on your program or on the backside or where you take notes. Will you list the names Aaron and Stella Hackett? They're planting a church right here in Clackamas. It is very likely that their church will be meeting out of Scouters Mountain Elementary School. We are praying for them. We are believing God for a great harvest. We are believing for the body of Christ. Those who know the Lord but aren't in church somewhere, that they might discover this church and become a part of it and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, just like many of you have in coming to Hillside. And so as we see them launch and as we see them uh, experience the miracle working power of our Father and our God that we would be a part, that we would get to pray with them, that we would get to believe with them. Perhaps even some of you might feel the yearning to say, I want to be a part of that. And we would bless that and we would say yes in Jesus' name. And so all that being said, we believe in the kingdom of God. Amen? Well, let me say that again. We believe in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I encourage you to be praying. Uh, also, Mark Seeger and his wife, Tracy, they are missionaries in downtown Portland, and they are launching 
what we would call uh, in a vertical neighborhood a home church. And we want to continue to lift up Mark and Tracy Seeger and their family. They're doing a marvelous work in downtown Portland, and we want to encourage you to continue to pray for them. Amen. Well, let's dive into the Word of God. Revelation chapter 15. Today's title is Awesome Are Your Works. Awesome Are Your Works. The your of the title is God. Awesome are God's works. Great and marvelous, wonderful are his works. Great and awesome are your works. Will you say that with me? Great and awesome are your works. Praise the Lord. Revelation chapter 15. It's the shortest chapter of the 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. We are still in that parenthetical pause, if you will. The seventh trumpet has sounded, yet we've not been engaged in the next events, if you will, of the seventh blast, which will be seven final bowl judgments or vessel judgments or vile judgments. These are to complete, if you will, the wrath of God. Chapter 15 introduces what is forthcoming. This is on the immediate horizon. And so we'll read the eight verses of this chapter together this morning, and then we'll look at one main theme, manifested, if you will, in two thoughts. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations, or all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure, bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living beings or living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Let's pray. Father, 
in the next few moments as we look into the perfect law of liberty, the Word of God. Lord, may we grasp to some measure the realities that will befall those who reject Christ. And Lord, may that compelling in us bring about transformation, challenging us out of our comfort zones to convey the message of the grace of God, the love of God through Jesus Christ. So Lord, be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said a strong amen. Amen. One main theme, awesome are your works. Say that with me again. Awesome are your works. I would even pray that our hearts, that each one of our hearts would contemplate and think on those things that the Lord has done. We have magnanimous examples in the Word of God, and we will look at a few of them this morning. There are magnanimous stories right here in this room. The works of God and how awesome they are, that it would produce in us a sense of awe and reverence when we are mindful throughout our day of God and who he is, his greatness, his love, his mercy, his peace, his grace that has been provided for us. Two main thoughts that we will look at today, his judgments are just. The judgments of the Lord are just. And I say that by way of reminder to all of us because I think sometimes we can get confused for the enemy certainly seeks to erode our confidence in the judgments of the Lord. He would rather us focus and think about self more often than not than the big picture. And sometimes... We listen to our ancient foe and we question the judgments of the Lord. Be reminded, the Word of God tells us, reminds us time and time and time and time again, the judgments of God are just. His love demands it, and that's encouraging for you and I. He is a God of justice. Thanks be to God. The second thing is his deliverances are true. And we will see in this portion of Scripture, contextually, he has delivered tribulation saints. Those who place their faith in Christ during this seven-year period known as the tribulation, more accurately known as Daniel's 70th seven, declared for the holy city Jerusalem and his people Israel. 
this 70th seven, there will be those who put their faith in Christ and he will bring about deliverance. Hallelujah. So, let's begin with some judgments. Verses 1 and then 5 through 8 announce his final judgment. There are seven final judgments to complete the wrath of God. There are seven, seven vessels containing these final judgments. And there are seven angels which will administrate these judgments. Again, we would see here the heptatic nature of the book of Revelation. We see the number seven very predominant through this book. And we see in this particular portion of Scripture its reference to completeness. So very thankful that God is thorough. Have you noticed that God is a finisher? And here's the good news. He finishes well every single time. In relationship to the totality of the universe, he will finish well, and it will be good. So note verse 8 references the temple that is there. And the temple in heaven, it says, was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter until the plagues were complete. I would just reference that this is not the first time that the temple has been filled. You see, Solomon's temple also was filled. You can read in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and chapter 7 at the dedication of the temple that was here on earth, Solomon's temple. That at the completion of Solomon's prayer, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the offering. And it was at that point that the glory of God filled the temple in such a manifest presence that the priests could not enter in and minister there. The glory of God and his manifest presence. I simply reference this to remind every one of us we are the temple of God. We are the temple. And his spirit has taken up residence in the hearts of everyone whose faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Recognizing this, my encouragement to you, like these priests and like we see in the heavenly throne, there is a sense of awe. There is a sense of magnificence and I pray that in our own lives we would recognize that God is with us he is in us he comes upon us in power and I reference that to reference the simplicity of you and I seeing the manifest power of God in our lives Oftentimes we are looking for something magnanimous and large in relationship to the miracle-working power of God. And I am too. I think it's great. I would love to see more of those large and miraculous things that God wants to do in and through us. But let us not neglect. Even the prophets remind us to not despise small beginnings. God is doing miracle-working things in your life right now. Your ability to deny temptation, to overcome the 
simple things in your life, the elementary things, all of those carnal things that we once were engaged in fully. God has empowered us to deny the flesh and to be more than overcomers through Christ. That's his miracle working power. And when we avail ourselves of the power of God that has been made manifest, we are seeing his power working in our lives. Let us not neglect the strength that we can draw from every single victory we see in our lives and the victories we see in our brothers' lives. And listen, maybe you're here today and you have been struggling in an area of your life. And you say, I am having a difficult time in this area or that area. I want to encourage you, surround yourself with some folks who are walking in victory. Let it be an inspiration to you. Here's a a wise thing I would say you could do. The Bible says, he who walks with the wise grows wise. Find someone who has victory in that area of their life and ask them how they have discovered that victory and how they walk in that victory over sin in their life. In other words, discover how they've learned to say no to sin and temptation. Does that make sense? It ought to be easy, huh? And yet you and I know that many struggle. So let's lock arms and walk together to find victory together. So the power made manifest in our life. When Solomon had finished praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. The power of God. So notice also in this portion of Scripture that the judgments are announced. Verse 1 is making the announcement of these seven last plagues. I think this is a normal characteristic of God, making proclamation of a pending judgment. In fact, I would say that God has been making proclamation of pending judgment really since the advent of time and the advent and the creation of mankind. He has been warning since the fall of man that there was consequence for sin. We see also verses 2 through 4, his deliverances are true. We have the announcement of these pending judgments. His judgments are just. We may not fully comprehend what those judgments are, but we can trust our God's judgments are just. We discover in verses 2 through 4, and these are the ones I really want to focus on this morning, where we see his deliverances are true. Those who have victory, verse 2 says, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. Many would interpret the sea of glass as like the word of God. It's a foundation immovable, the mingled with fire would be this idea of tried and refined. And those who have victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the glass, these who have stood, if you will, on the word of God, they have found victory. There's a principle there, I believe, for you and I. If you want to discover victory in your life, stand upon the promises of God. Stand upon the word of God. 
God's word is absolute. Our first doctrinal statement as a follower of Christ is that this, this book, the word of God, living and active, this book, sharper than a two-edged sword, this book, verbally inspired by God, it is the word of God, and it is our rule, our measuring stick, it is our rule of faith and conduct. And if we would submit to the authority of the word of God in our lives, we would find great victory. And here's the beauty of it. We would find the joy of surrender to the Lord. Some people have said, I don't want to come to Christianity because it's a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's and don'ts. Can I suggest to you that is a misunderstanding. Christianity is not a bunch of do's and don'ts. Christianity is liberty from bondage. Jesus came to set us free. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. We have been liberated. And now we have power to overcome. And these have had victory. These worshiping, they're singing, they're singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. They have victory. That is, they've been and have received the deliverance of the Lord. The deliverance of the Lord. Their song, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come worship before you. For your judgments have been made manifest or have been manifested. His judgments are announced predominantly ahead of time. His deliverance comes and then his judgments are executed. So let's, let's look at some of his awesome works of old. Pastor Dennis, I know you didn't know this and you didn't know that as an example, we would look at the children of Israel and their deliverance from Egypt and bondage this Sunday morning. We sang that last song, and it talked about the uh, deliverance, uh, the waters being spread, and I don't even know the lyrics of the song. I was looking on the, on the wall, and I thought, wow, how, how pertinent that that is literally what God does and what God did. Fears being drowned in the waters, so to speak. So let's look at these works of old this morning, a couple of them. Let's consider Pharaoh and Moses. Pharaoh and Moses. And so two nations represented Egypt and the Israelites. Let's be reminded as we look at these that awesome are your works, O Lord. Awesome are your works. So with Pharaoh and Egypt, the children of Israel, from the time of Ishmael and the birth of Isaac, the son of promise, until the time of God's deliverance, 430 years of slavery and bondage. 430 years. And the children of Israel were crying out, crying out to the Lord, and the Lord heard their cries, and he came down to deliver. He saw, he heard, 
and he came. He came to deliver. And he delivered through a pronouncement of pending judgment. Moses said, let my people go, declares the Lord. And Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh that I should obey him? That was probably the wrong question. The arrogance of man, the lack of fear of God, will produce a hardness of heart. Let me suggest to you today, arrogance and a lack of reverence for the Lord will produce hardness of heart in us. How we approach the Word of God, how we approach the grace of God, how we approach the promises of God, how we approach the judgments and the testimonies and the commandments of the Lord. If we're arrogant, our hearts can become hardened even as Pharaoh's did. Moses revealed the plagues, if you will, in advance. The hardness of Pharaoh's heart resulted in those plagues coming up to and including the last of those plagues when death would ensue on all whose homes did not have the covering of the shed blood, the Passover lamb. And so, after that night, Pharaoh said, Moses, take your people and go. And some amazing things occurred in those last moments as they were ready to leave. They were actually blessed by the Egyptians with many gifts, and they left. A little while later, Pharaoh thought to himself, what have I done? What have I done? And so he gathered his chariots and his armies, and they pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel stood on the shore of the Red Sea with a boundary in front of them that was impenetrable, looking behind them, seeing the armies of Egypt coming after them, fear gripping. Moses cries out. And God gave his deliverance plan, Moses, raising his hands, raising his staff, and the waters of the Red Sea parted before them. And the children of Israel crossed over on dry land on dry land, deliverance. And here's the beauty, judgment followed. You see, Pharaoh and his armies pursued into the midst of the Red Sea on that dry ground. But while they were in the midst, God caused the waters to come back and to settle and level. And they were completely consumed. God's deliverance. His ways are awesome. His works are awesome. Let's consider for a moment Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament and Lot. This would represent the unrighteous and the righteous. The unrighteous and the righteous. Judgments were announced. The angel of the Lord appeared, told Abraham what was going to occur. 
the angels descended on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know and I know that Abraham had discussion in relationship to the righteous and the unrighteous. And God said, all right, if there's righteous found, they will be delivered. You're right. And so the angels went in, and Lot was there. The angels entered into his house, and declaration and proclamation was made. And it came time where the city came to their door. They were pounding on the door saying, send these men out that we might have our ways with them. And Lot said no. The angel said move swiftly and they escaped, Lot and his family. You know the story. And God executed his judgment. Fire and brimstone rained from heaven. His judgment was just. And the wicked were destroyed, but the righteous were delivered. His deliverances are true. Sometimes when we look at God's deliverance and we see the fate of the unrighteous, we see the fate of the wicked, our hearts, and maybe your heart, is challenged by that. And you say, well, I don't understand that. There may be parts that you and I don't have the opportunity to fully understand, but what we can always trust is God is loving, God is just. And his judgments are just, and they are true. And so we can have great confidence. God is desiring that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the truth is, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to death and destruction, and many enter through it. There will be those who simply will reject the grace of God his provision for salvation, they will simply reject Jesus Christ. It's grievous. Now then, we make the appeal to all men, amen? For we don't know that, and we don't know who he is calling and who is going to be responding. So we scatter seeds, we broadcast, if you will. And our prayer is that the seed would fall on good soil, that men would respond. God has foreknowledge in these things. So, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. We see the Egyptians were destroyed, but God's people delivered, the righteous delivered. Now let's consider, I asked uh, my son Jonathan, what's a marvelous work when you think of the marvelous works of the Lord? And he said, Dad, when the hand showed up in Darius's room, and wrote on the wall. <laughs> I, I thought, that's pretty marvelous. <laughs> Imagine for a moment celebration going on. But what Darius did, excuse me, Belshazzar, it was Belshazzar, not Darius. Belshazzar did. He didn't heed the warnings by his father Nebuchadnezzar, who was driven to madness until he acknowledged the Lord. Belshazzar, in his arrogance, took from the temple of God those artifacts, those emblems of worship, and they used them in a very unrighteous way. They used them, period, but let alone in an unrighteous way, celebrating drinking wine with their wives and their concubines in absolute arrogance, knowing the judgments of God, understanding from his father what should have been. 
in his arrogance, he defiled himself and those that were there. And the hand appeared and wrote on the wall, Mine, Mine, Tekel, Upharsim. And with terror now in his being, the Bible says his hips were loosed and his knees knocked. For those of you who may not understand that vernacular, it's kind of a pun, but he needed brown pants. He lost his lunch. He was terrified. He sought with his astrologers, magicians, what is the understanding of this? And there was no understanding, and they called upon Daniel. And Daniel gave them the answer. Your days have been measured. Your days have been measured. They've been counted, and they're finished. It's interesting that you see mene, mene twice. We understand from the prophet Jeremiah why God does that, because the thing has been established. Just like we'll see in a chapter forthcoming, Babylon has fallen, fallen. When God says something twice sequentially in a row, it's because the thing has been established. And it was established that Belshazzar's days were done. And Tekel means his life had been put in the balance, in the scales, and his life was found wanting. He was deficient. He didn't do what he knew to do. And as a result, judgment would come. And so we see Upharsim. And the Bible tells us that that very night, that very night, Belshazzar died. But before he died, he delivered Daniel. He made Daniel the third highest in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar's life was taken. And the kingdom, the kingdom of the Babylonians was handed over at least immediately to the Medes, Darius the Mede, eventually to Cyrus the Persian. God announces, God delivers, and God executes. It is interesting to me that these tribulation saints, as they sing, they sing, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you? I'll just pick up on who shall not fear you for a moment. You see, for the Word of God tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What I mean about fear, I don't mean to be afraid of God, so to speak, but that there would be a reverence and there would be a honor and respect, due homage, if you will. Fear seems to produce one of two responses. It seems with the unrighteous that to fear the Lord is to bring about pride and arrogance it's to bring about rage, 
the wicked rage against the Lord. Why is that? Its root cause is found in pride. And we find that in these cases and in these stories, and certainly in the book of Revelation where they do not respond to the judgments of God, the people do not respond, and they continue to rage against the Lord. I heard that. <laughs> they rage against the Lord. The other, that reverence, that awe, the due homage will produce peace, worship. Here we find in the midst of the worship is the joy of God's deliverance also. These making that declaration. Again, Revelation chapter 15. Lord, uh, you alone are holy. All the nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been made or have been manifested. Just and true are your ways. Marvelous are your works. That's their song. It's the song Moses sang that same song. It's the song of Moses. After the parting of the Red Sea and the deliverance of God, and they made it to the other side, he worshiped the Lord in reverence and I wonder sometimes in our lives. We see the children of Israel, and if we know a little more of the history of the children of Israel, their tendency was to worship the Lord. You know, from I wouldn't be doing my due diligence if I didn't mention to you that three days later, as they wandered into the wilderness of Seir, that they complained against the Lord because they had no water. And they began to look back at Egypt and said, hey, it was better back there. But once again, they came to the waters of Mara. And they could not drink the water, and so they were even more frustrated with the Lord. And Moses interceded, and God showed him the tree. And he cast the tree upon the bitter waters. And the bitter waters were made sweet for the children of Israel to drink. God brings deliverance. And I suggest to you this morning that no matter what you may be going through, and some of you may be going through very difficult times, I know many of the circumstances that are represented by our fellowship, and many of them are very hard and difficult. Just when you think maybe yours is the worst, you will discover someone is going through something even more difficult than you. There are hard things going on. There are very bitter waters. Can I encourage you today? First of all, his deliverances are true. God is with you. Last week we were, we were reminded that God is with us. He is with God's got me. And in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your trial, God sees, God hears, and God delivers. He knows where you are. He knows the difficulty. And you say, these are such bitter waters. Pray. Pray. 
Let the Lord reveal to you the tree. I believe the tree that the Lord would seek to reveal to us is the cross of Christ. That when we approach our difficulties, our bitter moments, our hardships, when we approach them through the redemptive work that God accomplished upon the cross of Calvary, those bitter waters can become sweet again because we'll see the hand of God working in our lives. Just like these tribulation saints, oh, do you think for one moment that they were necessarily saying, hallelujah, we're going to the chopping block. I imagine because we are revealed or it is revealed in the book of Revelation that for those tribulation saints there will be tribulation. They will be beheaded for their faith. Martyred. Martyred. Many of us are going through hardship, but these now finding joy and worship because of the deliverance of God. I believe that as we approach the bitter waters in our life, the hardships of our life, if we will approach them through the cross of Christ, if we will approach them through our relationship with Jesus Christ, remember the volume of the book is written of him. This is a representation of God himself. The written word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and mercy and truth. If we will but approach those things through the cross, through prayer, we will see the deliverance of God in our lives, and we will find the joy of worship in the midst of our hardship. You may be here today, and you don't know the Lord. And you hear this message of God's deliverance, and you say, I don't know the message of God's deliverance because I've yet to be delivered even from my own transgression and sin. If you're here this morning, the Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. We would invite you to Invite Christ into your life to put your hope and your faith in what he accomplished upon the cross at Calvary, shedding his blood for the remission of my sins, our sins. He died a substitutionary death, a death that I deserve, a death that each one of us here deserves. He died in our place. God's ultimate deliverance. God's ultimate deliverance. Will you receive the grace of God? I want to invite you to stand this morning, and I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to ask that every eye would be closed and every head bowed. And as you're standing, I would like you to be also thinking, if you have some difficulties, you have some trials, you have some tribulations, you have some hardships, you've had some bitter waters that you're currently walking through, and maybe you've been trying to solve all of those things in your own efforts, in your own strength. I believe that the word of the Lord today is that we would not do it in our own strength, but in the power of his might, the power of his might. So let me ask this first question. You're here this morning.
and you've not given your heart to Christ. I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes for a moment. If that's you, and you would like to be included in this prayer, you would like to say yes to Jesus, you would like to simply receive the grace of God, to know that your name is written in God's book in heaven, that you will spend an eternity with him, to know that your sin is forgiven, God's ultimate deliverance, if you will. And you'd say yes, putting your faith in what Jesus did for you upon the cross. It'd be like that Passover lamb. You would be having the doorposts and the lentil of your house covered with that atoning work of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You'd say, yes, I want to know I'm born again. If that's you, would you indicate that you would like to be included in this prayer by simply raising your hand where you're at and say, remember me, Pastor, this morning when you pray. I'll just look for a moment. Are there any hands? You're here this morning. Maybe you're the prodigal we were praying for earlier, and you're away, and you want to be restored. And you'd simply say, will you remember me this morning as I recommit my life to the Lord? If that's you, would you simply indicate that you would like to be included in this prayer by raising your hand and say, yes, remember me this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I see that, brother. God bless you. See that one. God bless you, sister. Amen. You can put your hand down there. Thank you. Now, finally, maybe you're here today and you've been approaching difficult times, hardships, heartaches, frustrations, grievous, grievous things, bitter waters, trials, tribulation, heartache. And you would simply say, I realize I cannot do this in my own power. I need the power of God. His deliverances are true. His, his works are awesome. And I need Him. I need Him. I want to see His power made manifest. I want to approach things in a different eye. I want to look at things through the cross of Christ. I want to look at things and stand upon the promises of God and the Word of God. If that's you and you'd like to be included in this morning's prayer, would you simply raise your hand where you are and say, remember me, lots of hands, praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to the throne of grace boldly. Your word says to come in a new and living way and boldly approach the throne of grace. God, we come boldly before your throne and first we declare with those who raised their hand and said, I want to rededicate my life to the Lord Jesus. I want to live my days for him and not for myself. That I would seek each day to honor him in our lives. Lord, we simply declare with each of them your lordship in our life. Jesus Christ is Lord. Say that with me together, everybody. Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, your lordship in our lives. We declare that by faith with those who said yes again today. Lord, help, we pray. Strengthen, sustain. I pray that each who raised their hand would discover the joy of honoring you in their living. And for those who did not raise their hand, Lord, I, I trust that's because we've, we're living for you fully. Lord, help us each day to live for you. 
Now, Lord, for those who raised their hands and said, the circumstances are overwhelming, and I've tried. In some cases, I've sought the Lord, but I've tended to lean on my own understanding of things, and I got my hands in there and tried to fix things and tried to work things, and it's not working. And we forgot that many are the plans of man's heart, but it was the Lord that determined the outcome, and we keep trying to fix the outcome. Lord, will you help us to turn our cares and our concerns over to you and to see your deliverance, like Moses, to see the parting of the Red Sea, to see the destruction of our enemies, like Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot getting out of the city, escaping. Lord, may we be led by you in our way of escape. And Lord, may those things that have been a plague in our lives, so to speak, be destroyed. And Father, these other examples we have seen today, Lord Belshazzar and Daniel, and we know that eventually Daniel ended up in the lion's den because of his own righteousness, but Lord, you delivered him even there. Though the lions were all about him, hungry for some flesh, Lord, you brought deliverance because you deliver your children. You deliver your children. You're faithful. Your deliverances are true. God, will you bring deliverance? Lord, in the midst, if the storm gets worse, like in many cases it does, Lord, will you remind us that you are with us and you've got us and your deliverances are certain. So, Lord, we commit these things to you. We ask your blessing. Will you go before us this day, make rough places smooth, crooked places straight, cut through bars of iron and gates of brass, and may we know that it is you who holds us by the hand and calls us by name. You love us with an everlasting love. Lord, we love you and we bless you and we ask your benediction in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said a strong amen. Amen. Go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Have an amazing day in Jesus. God bless you.